0: Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. 13 minutes to go ahead of the close on this Monday. Stocks are surging. S&P 500 index up the most in four weeks after the latest poll showed the U.K. campaign to remain in the European Union is gaining ground ahead of Thursday's referendum. The S&P 500 Index now higher by 15 points to... 2,086 up seven tenths of one percent. Nasdaq up 44 points, a gain of nine tenths of one percent. The Dow also up nine tenths of one percent, climbing 163 points to 17,837. The ten-year down 17.30 seconds. The yield 1.66 percent. Gold down 250 the ounce to 12.92, a drop there of two tenths of one percent. And crude oil up a dollar 23 a barrel, 49.21, a gain of 2.6 percent. I'm. Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. If you
1: invested in the S&P 500 at the beginning of the year, you have a whopping 2% gain. Is that enough for your investments? Let's find out from Doug Sioka. He's the chief investment officer and partner of Kavar Capital Partners. He's based in Leewood, Kansas, helping to manage more than $450 million of customer assets. And he can be followed on Twitter at Doug Sciocca, C-I-O-C-C-A. All right, Doug Sioka. when someone calls you and says, gee, you know, I invested and that S&P 500 fund, it's up 2%. I can't live on 2%. What do you tell them?
2: Yeah, good afternoon, and thanks for having me on. I think that uh, it's a great question because challenges persist to get back in line with those Um, kind of expected return levels that market historians have told us were pretty easy to obtain. And we don't have a client with a 120-year time horizon, but I guess if you did go back that far, you'd expect about 9.5% return in the S&P 500 annually. The interesting thing is, Tim, just contextually, is the last 16 years, going back to the turn of the millennium, uh, the S and P has averaged just above four percent per year, so maybe it's an indication that the mean reversion tendencies to get back on that nine and a half percent path are strong, or maybe it's giving us an indication that those types of returns at this point just aren't going to be available in the market.
3: Interesting, isn't it, Doug? How uh, you know you keep people keep waiting. You know, every so often, like the Fed keeps waiting to raise rates, and the economy. Uh, starts picking up and they think they can and then something happens right european debt right. crisis uh, greek's going to default now it's the brexit vote and i wonder for the markets to what extent this is the same kind of condition where it's not just about companies uh bottom line and top line and earnings it's not just about even the strength of the u.s economy or a global economy it's also about these global macro events that keep hitting the world and therefore hitting the markets
2: I think that's a great observation, Kathleen. It speaks to the sort of global flattening that's taken place and the general level of interconnectivity, particularly in the financial system. And if you think about Brexit specifically, right, it's largely a function of social unrest, function of economic discontentedness, anti-establishment uprising by, I mean, generally a neglected class of citizens. And to me, that sounds real similar to the fervor, the enthusiasm surrounding candidates like Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, right here in the U.S. It's almost to somewhat of an indication of an absence of leadership. I mean, there's no vision, no articulation, no feeling of broad representation and inclusion, and there's a heightened susceptibility of fracture, therefore, in any union. I mean, the Brits are at a very critical cultural inflection point, much as we are here in the United States, and I don't know if the if the leadership breakdown should necessitates spanning more global uh, considerations. Is it David Cameron? Is Is it the U.S. Congress? Is it Parliament? Is it Brussels? Is it the power base of the EU? But I think one of the things that gets lost in this, and certainly none of it is fairly to be characterized as noise, but what we end up having to focus on invariably is that there's a general misunderstanding that sound economic growth has a way of nursing all of these other social ills. So however we can get back on the path Understanding what's in the collective goodwill of a strong economy should go a long way into providing some sort of a uh, uh, supporting salve, so to speak, to some of these issues that you're that you've just referenced.
1: Doug, you know it's always easy from the cheap seats to say what you should have done, and I was looking Certainly. at the Philadelphia Gold and Silver Index up more than 101 percent year to date. Looking at the Philadelphia Utility Index up nearly 16 percent year to date. What? area of the investment world should you be putting your money to work
2: in right now? Yeah, and gold is always difficult, Tim. I mean, certainly gold had done so well for so long when none of the preconditions we've all learned and been educated to think need to prevail for them to do well, right? The gold did really well in low inflationary environments. Uh, gold did really well even in the absence of adequate supply for some of its industrial uses. Gold certainly and utilities certainly this year have done well because they have been the manifestation of people's identification of fear and capital preservation and yield in the absence of uh, a normalized bond market. But when we spend time with clients in, in trying to navigate some of these global market crosswinds, right, we are looking for ways to reinforce balance in their portfolios. And to revisit a theme that I shared a few months back, using a baseball context, you think, we think you just need to try to hit singles here, right? The setup in this ballpark of a market is not conducive to taking big home run type swings. If you think of the source of stock market returns, corporate profits, inflation, dividends, and multiple expansion, maybe you get to 4 to 5% on average in developed markets. And we think you can emphasize certain areas that can improve upon those prospects. So I am promised I will answer your question. And you can alter that lineup of companies that straddle the line between economically sensitive and interest rate sensitive sectors. So our firm is partial to what we call self-indulgent consumer staple stocks, right, alcohol, tobacco, salty snack, fast food, caffeine, et cetera. And we're also very, very strong believers in healthcare stocks, and both these sectors have – consistent organic growth components that are attributable to demographics and human nature. Hmm. And yes, they are at best unexcited in their composition, but when you have four years now before 2016 where value underperformed growth, when malaise is kind of a, of a nice way to characterize the global growth outlook, and when multiple expansion is not an input into the expected turn calculation, we think those are pretty nice tailwinds to those sectors.
3: Well, I don't think it's so boring to like things like uh, self-indulgent consumer staple socks, right. alcohol, tobacco, salty snack, fast food, caffeine. Hey, what's boring about that?
2: <laughs> Probably not our personalities if we partake in, in indulging <laughs> in them.
3: So those things you're a partial to?
2: We are, yeah. We, we don't see the market offering a lot of double-digit returns in spite of the two areas that Pim had just quoted with the current macro backdrop. And we even think, still think there's some value in fixed income markets, specifically in municipal bond markets. This would, of course, be appropriate for individual non-qualified investors. But if you think about, and this is again that sort of bifurcation and income inequality, and just general disparity among developed economies, both here, over and in, in the EU, but can the state of the excuse me, the state of the housing market in the U.S. very strong. I mean, think about this: mortgage payments and total debt service as a percentage of income continue to drop, and now stabilizing. They are stabilizing below the 2007 levels. And then you have, this is a fascinating fact. In 2016, the U.S. government collected $1.48 trillion of tax receipts. The first half of 2016 in their fiscal year. So the consumer who's participating in these self-indulgent, um, uh, consumer staples, the homeowner, the taxpayer are generally in good shape. The bonds issued by the municipalities where these consumers and homeowners and taxpayers live, can make for generally attractive opportunities, also in this market.
1: Well, you just got talking about just got finished talking though about the angst that people feel in the in the political environment. So, if we can just put the the, the sort of feeling part of it aside, I mean, what about buying a sector that has been beaten up, like the energy business?
2: Yeah, and and, and, and it had been beaten up, I guess. But so I think it's the top or top one or two performing sectors now, given the recovery in commodities. And think back to what Kathleen was characterizing initially. You have a um, commodity market that was defined or driven by this fear of a Chinese hard landing. And all prices correlated so negatively. Granted, it was exacerbated by the strength of the dollar and the expectation of higher Fed, uh, Fed raising rates. But the primary function that drove those prices down was, again, more angst, in fear that a market, an economy that's the second or third largest in the world, is only going to grow at 65 to 7%. So I think maybe the emotional parsing that can be done to have more of a fundamental focus on some of the economic underpinnings is what always needs to take place and tends to endure over long periods of time in investing. But in the short term, don't you think we'll always be ripped around, whipped around by some of the emotional uh, components of, of the investor psyche?
1: Well, it may be whipped around by it, but the idea is that if you're a pro, you want to stay away from the emotion.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that drives us back to those two sectors we like, because human behavior patterns are a heck of a lot easier to predict than market patterns. Mm -hmm. And the consistency with with cash flow is allocated to those sectors, to us, is very sensible. And the enduring growth of cash flow capability, the growth of the dividends, and the stability of the stock prices are all things that have attracted us to them.
3: Doug Sioka, thank you so much for joining us. Fascinating. He likes everything from indulgent consumer staple stocks to munis. He's CEO and partner of Kavar Capital. I'm Kathleen Hayes, Kim Fox, Taking Stock, Bloomberg Radio.